as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Board as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I am Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also with Big Shiny Robot And we have a lot of movies to talk about this week We've got four big releases uh, some good, some bad, some, well, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but I think let's start with one that I think we both generally enjoyed. Possibly you might like it a bit more than I did, because uh, I have some issues with it. But let's talk about the kind of suspense thriller, The Gift. The Gift uh, is a suspense thriller uh, written, directed, and starring uh, Joel Edgerton, who you may know from Great Gatsby or the... Uh, the remake of The Thing. Uh, he was also the young Owen Lars in the Star Wars prequels, but don't hold that against him. Well, he uh, was in it for two seconds, so... Yeah, he was in it for two seconds. And he he, he kind of grimaced, and then that was it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, he he has written and directed this movie uh, starring Jason Bateman, and uh, he and his wife, played by Allison Hall... Uh, have just moved into a new home in L.A., uh, which happens to be where he grew up, uh, or close to where he grew up, and... Oh, excuse me. not Did I say Allison Hall? Rebecca Hall. Um, anyway. Uh, they've, they've moved into this home, and it's this beautiful home with tons of windows, and one of the things that... Edgerton gets really right in this movie is he turns that home into almost a character in and of itself. He really nails this creepy, creepy vibe of what it's like dealing with someone who's a little bit stalkery uh, in a house with a lot, a lot, a lot of windows. Um, So that's good marks for that. Um, But essentially what happens is uh, they meet edgerton randomly at the mall and he's like oh hey we went to high school together and then creepiness ensues uh he starts leaving gifts at their house he starts coming over unannounced and he's trying to kind of squeeze his way into their life um and there seems to be some sort of history between him and jason bateman's character it's not really revealed exactly what and that's part of the mystery of what we find out as we go through here uh, it also seems like Jason Bateman may not be that nice of a guy uh, in, you know, contrary to first glance, uh, in that he does incredibly well and uh, nails that kind of creepy, douchey vibe that uh, people who saw him in Juno might remember, uh, or some of the creepier bits from Arrested Development, like <laughs> where, <he's, laughs> where as the dad, he's living with George Michael in his dorm room. Anyway, um... So I, I like this movie a decent amount. Uh, Adam, what did you think about it? Um, so I, I will give props to the acting. I think everyone involved does a really great job. And, you know, I, I've, to be completely honest, I haven't watched all of the rest of the development, so I'm not quite as familiar with Jason Bateman's role in that. But in the movies he's been in, he's always kind of like the ah shucks or the kind of befuddled, uh, you know, every man who, you know, he gets in situations that he's entirely uncomfortable with. So it was really refreshing to see him in a role that, like you said, like he, you know, he very much is not a nice person. He's 
you know, not to give the story away because that's half the fun is kind of figuring out what happens. But there are certain scenes where he's almost scary in the way he's acting uh, and the way he uh, treats Gordo and everything else. So you know from the get-go that something's wrong with him and that he might be getting his just desserts by having this creepy guy kind of come after him. And speaking of the creepy guy, uh, Joel Edgerton is Gordo. And I'll get to in a minute the reason, the problem I have with this film. But y- yeah, he's... You know, creepy, he's kind of, not only kind of stalkerish, I guess, but he just kind of comes across as maybe a nice guy who is trying a bit too hard. I think we've all had those friends who, you know, they're they are over-anxious, they're over-eager to please, and it comes off as kind of unnerving because it's not what, you know, those of us who quote-unquote claim to be normal expect from people because there's always looking over your shoulder to see, okay, what's the person, what are they really after, what's what's their real agenda? And in this case, he does have an agenda, but, you know, one of the letters he writes is, hey, let's let bygones be guide bygones. So he's giving Jason Bateman's character a chance to, you know, get over the past. And as someone who, growing up, was bullied a lot and had some situations, you know, I can kind of identify with that. And, you know, now as an adult, I've, you know, we've all gotten over things and gone on with life, but... You know, there, if, if someone who had been a bully to me when I was younger and I tried to give him an olive branch and they denied it, you know, I, I probably wouldn't go to the steps that he does or maybe does. <laughs> <laughs> it's never really quite explained. Um, but I, I can see where that bitterness would, would definitely come about. So I, I think the, yeah, the, the acting is great. The house is creepy. Um, it's... I guess one problem with this is don't watch any of the trailers. I and mean, we said that last week about Vacation. Um, not because the trailers in this one ruin the movie, but because it sets it up to almost be like a home invasion horror movie that it's not. Uh, it's definitely suspenseful and has some scary moments, uh, some jump scares, which uh, they kind of set up some lazy jump scares, which I didn't like. But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely creepy, has its moments, um, but there are some problems with it. Yeah, I, I felt it was a, a really, really slow burn up to what I felt was a very interesting ending, but because it was a little bit ambiguous, and when you see this film, you'll see what I mean about the ambiguity of it. Uh, Adam, you and I were talking about this, and it's like, well, well, did he or didn't he sort of thing, and in that, there's something interesting, but I, I feel like it's a little bit of a failure, because if... If it went one way, then it completely changes how you interpret the character of Gordo. And exactly. So it's it felt unsatisfying to me that there was this big buildup. And wow, there was something really cool there at the end. But I wish that it had just been handled more deftly. And, and throughout the screenplay, there were just little bits that... It's like there's a great kernel there of something and it just didn't develop into something awesome. So I like this movie, um, but... Yeah, it was it was just kind of right up the middle for me. I I ended up with at five out of ten. And see, example, what you said that that fully mirrors what I'm thinking was Gordo's a very sympathetic bad guy in the sense that as an audience you can identify with with his plight. Uh, but the twist they took at the end, whether or not it actually happened, you know, that's kind of up to Jason Bateman's character and also us as the audience to figure out really twisted and distorted his character and made it so you couldn't root for him. Like, even though, you know, he was doing weird things, you understood where he was coming from and you felt sorry for him. But if the 
clues he left to what may have happened, if that actually did happen, then he immediately goes from being this guy who's you're sympathetic to to someone who is a complete twisted person who I can't even, you know, it, it angered me. Especially yeah. because he involved, uh, you know, Robin, who's Rebecca Hall, Jason Bateman's wife, uh, in this. And she was the most innocent of all. She was the one who was trying to reach out and be considerate to him, be nice to him. So for that, you know, I'm right with you, actually, a 5 out of 10. I think there's a lot of good things here. I would have liked if Joel would have, Joel Edgerton would have maybe taken a step back from his screenplay. Maybe let someone look at it and either one, remove the ambiguity or two, change how they treated Gordo's character. Yeah. So I think it's always hard when you have one person that this is their passion project and it's writer, director, and starring. Um, unless you really have a handle on exactly what you're doing, it can get away from you really easily because we all have blind spots. That being said, good job. And I hope that Joel Edgerton will continue to come back with other things because this this shows promise. Yeah, so again, overall, okay movie, but maybe maybe wait for Dollar Theater or Redbox. So. Yep. Uh, kind of in the same vein is our next one, which is Ricky and the Flash. It's directed by John Condemi, who is most well-known for uh, doing Silence of the Lambs back in the 90s, as well as Philadelphia, the uh, Tom Hanks HIV movie. Ricky and the Flash stars uh, Meryl Streep as an aging wannabe rocker. Uh, she divorced her husband, who's played by Kevin Kline, and you know, kind of left her family, went to California, and tried to strike it big by being a rock star. Didn't work out exactly how she hoped. She's working at a Whole Foods knockoff, which has some really funny scenes with her and her manager trying to coach her to be happy and successful at being a, I think it was called Total Foods uh, employee. <laughs> and she, her rock star ambitions have kind of settled on her band, The Flash, which is a cover band that performs at the local bar and plays, you know, Bruce Springsteen and, you know, all the classic, you know, Joel, Billy Joel kind of songs. Well, she gets a call from her ex-husband, Pete, saying that her daughter, Julie, who's played by Mamie Gummer, who actually is Meryl Streep's daughter in real life, uh, just found out that her husband was cheating on her, and she's moved back home and is in a deep depression, won't change clothes, won't come out of her room. Uh, Will you please come back and see if you can make a difference? So uh, Ricky reluctantly agrees to go there, and of course, her ex-husband's now very, very successful. They live in a huge mansion, and... You know, the exact opposite of where she's living in her little one-bedroom apartment in L.A. And, of course, when she gets there, her daughter wants something to do with her because she left when she was a kid and hasn't been part of her life and blah, blah, blah. But, of course, you know, this being kind of a romantic story and comedy, I guess you'd say, uh, Ricky ends up being the only one who can bring her daughter out of her funk, gets her out of the house, uh, gets her hair done, gets have a manicure makeover thing going. And eventually patches things up to the point where her daughter's back into life. During this time, she also meets with her, her kids, uh, one of them who's getting married soon. And of course, she wasn't invited to the wedding because, well, mom hasn't been there forever. And then her one son, who she didn't know was gay, and that was predictable as hell. And it's all kind of a cool story until uh, about two-thirds of the way through. Uh, her ex-husband's new wife shows up and says, cool, well, you've done a lot of good here, so Bye. And she just goes home. And at that point, it's, it kind of takes a weird turn to where she's back home. And then it just really lost focus. Uh, and then eventually she gets invited to the wedding and plays a song for her son and yada, yada, yada. Um, I guess my biggest problem here 
is that the movie doesn't know what it wants to do. I mean, Meryl Streep is always great, no matter what she's in. She could read the phone book, and she'd be amazing. Uh, but it's kind of an interesting story, and then it goes off the rails, and then just kind of putters around, and then the credits roll. So it's not a bad movie by any means. It's just it doesn't know where it's going, uh, but it does have a lot of fun getting there. I would say, though, the one biggest thing is Meryl Streep, I love you, honey. You can sing. You've done it into the woods. Uh, you've done it in many movies. Uh, but that doesn't mean that every single movie you're in, you got to start singing. Because this movie really turns into Meryl Streep karaoke. And there's a good five or six songs, which makes up 20, 25 minutes of the movie, of her singing cover songs. Uh, so she has Ed Helms' disease. Ed yeah. Ed Helms is contractually obligated to sing in every single movie he's in for inexplicable reasons yeah and, and again she's a great singer i mean mama mia like i mentioned before with into the woods oh, she yeah. can do it she's got the chops doesn't mean you have to do it <laughs> so uh it's it's fluff it's lighthearted. it's you know it's a feel-good movie it's just nothing that great it's kind of a weird time of year for it to come out too uh it's not really summer fair i would have expected to see this maybe more in october time but uh six out of ten not bad just kind of off I'd have expected more out of Jonathan Demi and uh, Meryl Streep, but I think that Meryl is saving her Oscar goodness for Suffragette uh, coming out in December. Yeah, that's that's the big one they're pushing for. So yeah, so there we go. And maybe she'll sing in that. I don't know. We'll see. Yes. Uh, but next we got, or I got to see Shaun the Sheep. And I'm so jealous of you. Oh, this was a great movie. Uh, put out by Ardman Animation Studios, who you may remember. Uh, well, first of all, the Shaun, Shaun the Sheep is a TV show. Uh, you can watch it on Netflix uh, and Hulu with the kids. Uh, it's a lot of fun. They also did the the Wallace and Gromit movie, or shorts and Chicken Run, among other things. Yeah, and um, the TV show, uh, actually, Brooke Heim, who was our guest a couple weeks ago, she can watch this nonstop with her daughter, and, she, and they both love it. So if you're a parent... And I'm sure you can agree with this. Trying to find something your kids will like that you won't hate and you're tired of Frozen. Uh, Shaun the Sheep is the way to go. Shaun the Sheep is absolutely great. And this movie is completely worthy of everything else that they've done. I was actually blown away by how much I could care about uh, these, these animals and their owner without a lick of dialogue. There are no words in this entire film. And so it's just done like a great silent movie, pantomime, uh, with a lot of visual gags that kids, you know, from the age of two up to 82 are going to know and love. I, I just absolutely love this movie. We're going to talk about Fantastic Four in, in a minute. Every single thing that Fantastic Four did wrong, Shaun the Sheep did right. They knew the background of their characters. They gave us a great uh, villain. Uh, they developed motivations for their characters, and it was just madcap, nonstop, action sequences, gags, humor, and a great sense of family and adventure in all of this. Um, not that you need to know the plot here, but it's fairly simple. Uh, Sean and the rest of the sheep live on a farm, and one day Sean decides that what we should really do is get the farmer out of here and we can all take a day off. So <laughs> hijinks ensue 
and the farmer ends up in the big city uh, with memory loss and he suddenly becomes the next big thing of uh, a hot hairstylist uh, doing the same thing he's always done like shearing the sheep and he's uh, doing that so they have to go into the big city to rescue him and bring things back to normal on the farm uh, it, the plot doesn't matter just go in and watch and let the awesomeness in just wash over you this might be heresy but I might have liked this more than Inside Out. Ooh! It's really, really, really close. I'm giving this 9 out of 10. It's just absolutely gorgeous and a lot of fun. Um, although, uh, in in my defense, I'm going to say I'm, I might take this down a notch because uh, I'm watching Shaun the Sheep after watching Fantastic Four and Pixels. Um, <laughs> whereas I saw... I saw Inside Out in the midst of Jurassic World and Mad Max Fury Road and Tomorrowland. So, you know, it might be some, uh, it's, it's just so much better by comparison, but uh, it's just absolutely wonderful, and I can't recommend it enough. That's the movie you should be going to see. Awesome. Well, I will definitely, that's on my list to check out. It just, sometimes you have to work through screenings, which is really annoying, and we'll actually discuss that later. But, unfortunately... A movie screening I didn't have to work through. Okay. We're going to talk about Fantastic Four. And brace yourselves. Brace yourself. Fantastic Four is coming. We're, we're going to try to be as objective as possible. Um, because if you read my review on Big Chinese Robot, you already know the score I gave it. Uh, which I've only done twice now. In, God, four years of mo- reviewing movies, I've only had two zeros. So, spoiler, this one gets a zero. Um, so, let's talk about the plot or what letter there is. So, Fantastic Four is Josh Trank's follow-up to Chronicle, which Chronicle was amazing. I absolutely love that movie. I'm not a fan of found uh, found footage films, but that one resonated with me. It was a lot of fun. It was well done. And so when I heard that he was taking over Fantastic Four, I was ecstatic because me too. I, was, I was like, oh my god, Josh Trank is amazing. I'm so excited to see what he can do. And then throughout the production schedule and posts and everything else, little bits of hints and rumors of war, we'll say, kind of came out that there was he was acting weird on set. He may, may or may not have been high on set. Uh, Simon Kinberg had to kind of step in to finish the movie, and we'll never really know what happened. And even the other day, uh, he Josh Trank tweeted that, oh, it was all the studio's fault they stepped in and then quickly deleted his tweet. So What an ass. Yeah, and so this film has been played with problems from pretty much the moment he stepped into the role. But uh, Fantastic Four starts out with uh, Reed Richards, who's played by Miles Teller, who is excellent in Whiplash and nothing else. Uh, And his best friend, Ben Grimm, who is played by Jamie Bell, who has always been excellent, both in... He started out in Billy Elliot and was excellent in Snowpiercer. Uh, They've been best friends since the fifth grade, and Reed Richards has been set on building this teleportation device. And he kind of gets it right and finally perfects it and gets the whatever they teleport to come back when he's a senior in high school and showing it off at a science fair. Uh, teachers, of course, don't care. They write him off. Well, anyways, enter Franklin Storm, played by Reg E. Caffey, doing his very best Morgan, Morgan Freeman impersonation, who uh, says, oh, my God, we've been working on this, too. We're so happy you actually got this to work. Come study and work with us at the Baxter Foundation. Uh, we have real high-tech stuff there that will make this a reality. So he goes there, and as soon 
joined by his adopted daughter, Sue Storm, played by Kate Mara, who we all know from uh, House of Cards, and also his son, Johnny Storm, who uh, Michael B. Jordan, who was in Chronicle. And they also are joined by the reclusive, antisocial Victor Von Doom, played by Toby Kebbell, who originally started this project and then was let go because he couldn't get along with anyone. Uh, but he gets brought back in, and they eventually build this transportation machine that can take them to this alternate dimension and then hopefully come back. Well, the government gets involved, and they're like, oh, well, no, no, we can't let you go there because you're just kids, and we need to send NASA or, you know, men and adults, whatever. So, of course, the next thing they do, they all have to get drunk because what else are you going to do? And so Reed, Johnny, and Victor decide, hey, screw it, we're going to go there. So they call up, you know, Ben. Hey, come here. We'll sneak into the super high-tech place, and we'll go down the room from the dorms next to the Coke machines to this transportation device, and we're all going to strap in and go to this other dimension. So they go there, and stupid things happen. Victor is presumed dead. And they all come back, and they left left Sue Storm behind, even though she was an original member. And this explosion of energy happens, and they all get imbued with powers. Um, Ben Grimm becomes this rock monster called The Thing. Reed Richards gets stretchy powers. Johnny Storm becomes the Human Torch. And Kate Mara becomes the invisible woman who makes visible shields. Uh, Long story short, Reed escapes and then eventually gets caught, comes back, and he feels guilty because his best friend Ben has turned into this rock monster and will promise to work with the Bastard Foundation to reopen the portal to hopefully find a cure. And of course that all goes wrong because Victor Von Doom is now some crazy weird energy monster who wants to destroy the world because reasons. And the credits roll. So I know it's kind of a long summation of what happens, but that's the movie. What you just heard, you don't have to go see the movie now. That is literally all 100 minutes of that film shrunk down into a three to five minute little blurb. So please, please don't go see this movie. We told yeah. you everything about it. And actually, it. we had a, uh, my, uh, my roommate, Jeremiah, his friends came over and we were talking about it. And one guy was like, I kind of want to go see it just because I can't believe it's that bad. I'm like, if you do, do what we recommend with Pixels. Go buy a movie, a ticket to a good movie like Shaun the Sheep, and then sneak in. No one will know, and you can go and... Yeah, this this movie's just bad. Uh, Andy, we're switched this time, because last week, or the week before, I was saying, you know, ah, Pixels was okay, and you're like, no! So, we've kind of switched gears yeah. this time, so... What do you what do you think? And, and, actually, and actually, I'm a lot more up on this movie than you are, though not as up on, on it as brian young was and brian i love you to death but your review was no you're just way out of place numerically i'm actually closer to brian than i am to you but here's my thing is i was just so bored by this movie i couldn't like find the energy in myself to actively hate it it didn't make any sense this is like the characters were like somewhat resembling but legally distinct from the Fantastic Four. Um, I, I literally heard people defending this saying, well, it's not a superhero movie. Oh no, it's not. It's not a superhero. <laughs> it's the Fantastic Four, the first family of superheroes uh, in the Marvel Universe. They're known as the first family. And okay, well, it's not a superhero movie. And actually, it's... according to Jeremiah, it was the very first Marvel comic, actually, that Marvel started. Yeah, and and they're uh, you know they're 
Oh, it's well, it's a family picture. No, because actually the only people who are family in this are Sue and Johnny, and there's not that much interplay between the two of them. There's no Reed Sue love story. There's there's nothing that really makes me feel like this is a cohesive family. So no. Oh well, it's a science fiction exploration movie. Yeah, for the five minutes that they were talking about science in this movie, maybe it was. And that's where this movie was interesting, but then they just went and started looking at a computer screen, and that does not make for compelling cinema at all. No. So, it's like there were elements of what could have been good in a movie, but this this was not a Fantastic Four movie. This was somewhat resembling a Fantastic Four movie, but just wasn't. And Fox, you, you really have two options. Give it back to Marvel, or do a deal like Sony did. Just, okay, here's a third option. Call me. I've got a great <laughs> idea. I've got a really good idea for how you can actually do this right. But other than that, no. Just, ah. Uh, it was really infuriating because I love these actors, I love these characters, and I just, I was so bored. Um, and I think the, um, you know, the reviews coming in just show this absolutely. Uh, really quickly, it's currently sitting at 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, it drops as I last night. Yeah, so uh, that is the same level as... Catwoman and Elektra, uh, which is about where I think it deserves to be. So uh, let's go through. Um, here's ten movies that have better ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, and and see what you think of them. All the Twilight movies, better or worse? Better. Uh, yes, I would agree. Better. Green Lantern, better or worse? Oh, that's a tough one. Um... I would say slightly better, just because Ryan Reynolds actually makes the good Hal Jordan. Yeah, better, um, because there was still some cool space stuff in there. Jupiter Ascending, I will say worse. Jupiter Ascending was worse. I'll I'll say, uh, no, because I can can appreciate what the Wachowskis were trying to do with Jupiter Ascending, even though I didn't like it. uh, There was still that... They, at least they created a world that I actually liked a lot. I wanted to see what happened in that world, not so much what happened with uh, Liner and you know uh, Princess Amidala. In- interesting, very interesting. Uh, Pixels. We all know my thoughts on Pixels, and I've gone on record as saying I would rather have watched Pixels again than see Fantastic Four, and I have a reason for that. I went into Pixels knowing what I was getting into, knowing it's a Happy Madison Adam Sandler movie, and expecting that it probably wasn't going to be really good, but I was hoping. That it could at least be decent, but I had that expectation almost going in. Uh, I love Josh Trank. I love Chronicle. I was excited to see what we could do with this. I like the actors involved for the most part. So there was a glimmer of hope, and there's nothing worse than having your hope smashed. So I will definitely go that Pixels was better. Uh, Pixels currently at eighteen percent, so double the nine uh, percent. And I know what you think about Pixels, so I know I, where your vote is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will say Pixels is worse. Uh, Though they're not by not by a ton more, um, Super Mario Brothers the movie with Bob Hoskins and uh, and John Leguizamo. You know, I haven't watched that movie since it first came out in theaters, and I was like what nine years old or ten years old. So even then, I knew it wasn't a good movie. 
So I, I can't weigh in and see him as an adult because I would never watch it again. I'd, I'd say better because I think there's some camp factor where you can be like, oh, that was a stupid movie. Well, and John Leguizamo. Even, yeah. even in the crowd, even in Spawn, he was great. So yeah. John Leguizamo is always great. So And in the, in the same breath, Howard the Duck. I've never seen it, actually. Whoa! I, I, Whoa. I know there's. I've I've seen the duck titties, but I've never actually seen Howard the Duck. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say Howard the Duck is better. Um, uh, again, for the same kind of camp factor. Dragon Ball Evolution. This is the only one of these I have not seen. Um, I think I was drunk when I watched it once. <laughs> I, I I will I will plead the fifth because I don't remember that one. Okay. Uh, After Earth with with. Uh, Will Smith and his son. Oh, that was horrible. Um, see, here's the thing: is I have to go better because I've only given a, two movies a zero. So even though it's a horrible movie, I I, I don't know. I, I have to say better. I, I say I say um, After Earth is not as good as uh, Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four is better. And this isn't a recommendation for After Earth. No, garbage. no, absolutely but. not. That's a terrible movie. Uh, Batman and Robin. Nipples on the bat suit. It's campy, stupid fun. It's a horrible movie, which I I think I watch once every five years to remind me why Jeremy, Jerry Bruckheimer should never have the franchise back. Uh, but it's better. I will agree it's better, um, which is not to say that that's a good movie. But, no! Um, but it's a uh, joy in comparison to this piece of crap. Yeah, there's there's things I can, I can enjoy there. So, uh, Fantastic Four from... 2005 and let's just throw in the sequel with um the cloud galactus yeah so worse. uh better and i explained why my my written review was uh the fan, the fantastic four movies while not good by any way shape or form uh they at least understood the characters to the point that they got the sense of family they got the camaraderie they got the humor uh you know when sue storm is there and she's complaining to you know back when chris evans was well, she was just galba with sue storm Chris Evans was the Human Torch. You know, he'd do something stupid or knuckleheaded, and she just had that exasperated, like, "Oh God, brother, what's wrong with you?" It's mm-hmm. there was that that understanding that you get with the family, and that again, that's one of my things why I hated this one so much was they didn't understand it. You know, by all means, go and redo the characters' origins. That's fine. Do your own take. Have them go to a different universe and whatever else. Blah blah blah. But you've got to at least keep the same sense of family that's that's been there since the beginning because that's a very defining trait you know everyone was complaining about the fact that human torch was black guess what it made sense because his dad was black and sue storm was adopted if you're still complaining about that get over yourself it's the least even if you have a problem with it which you shouldn't and if you do you're stupid it's the least thing in this movie to even worry about because it made sense amen but and it took all of two seconds to explain that so yeah exactly so you know if you're so upset about that screw you but uh yeah it it misunderstood what the fantastic four was about so yeah uh and and in that i agree the tim story fantastic four movies they got the interplay between johnny and the thing uh there was none of that here i wanted to see them fighting like like brothers like the older brother and the kid brother yeah because they knew each other for all of two minutes yeah, so there, it didn't make any sense there. Uh, Doom didn't make sense. Reed didn't make sense. Sue didn't make sense. The entire plot didn't make sense. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson didn't make sense. Uh, yeah, uh, but mostly I was just bored. Bored, bored, bored by all of this. Yeah, so, you know, again, 
trying to stay objective in a subjective review, whatever, but it's bad. Don't go see it. If you're that tempted, you have to, like we said earlier, buy a ticket for another movie, sneak in. Uh, like Again, it's just, I had at least some glimmer of hope for this, and they just stomped on it and threw it out the window. So, like I mentioned before, 0 out of 10. I've only ever given one of the movie that score, so I hand them out even more rarely than 10s because a movie has to be really, really, really bad to not even have one redeeming quality about it. Yeah, and and I'm at 3 out of 10 because I was more bored than upset by it, but it's it's not good, and it they should not allow these same people to... Uh, play in the sandbox. Yeah, Marvel, take it back and do like do like Netflix. Do a Netflix series because obviously your your dance cards full for with movies for the next twenty five thousand years. I would love to see maybe like an Arrested Development type single camera comedy drama about with the Fantastic Four. That'd be fun. Uh, uh, this is my idea. Period piece. Oh yeah, seventies period piece. The the. The Fantastic Four always worked so much better in the sixties. Or sixties, yeah. Silly, it was silly. It was campy, and like you read the Fantastic Four issue number one, and reads like we got to beat those Ruskies out into space, <laughs> and it's like it's so awful. But it was a product of the time, and you get some of that um, that modern design that Jack Kirby was so great at, uh, you know, the look of Galactus, and yeah, that's, you go for that. Um, that's the only place it really works, and then if you want to do a modern day thing, you pull an Austin Powers or a Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, and you age them up 30 years, and they go into the future, and there, there you go. Um, yeah. so, so you there... have a flashback and a modern take. Yeah, there's some cool ideas. I, I'm sure Marvel has stuff you know, ready to go because I'd be very surprised if, even though there is a sequel planned, uh, considering this movie's only made eleven million dollars in two days, uh, I'd be very surprised to see if that ever happens. So, <clears throat> by all means, you know, Fox, pull your heads out your butts, give the rights back to Marvel, or at least partner with them like Sony did because you obviously don't know what you're doing. And if if you make another movie, shame on you. There's no excuse for what you've done. Um, and and whether or not you're out. Yeah, you, you made three terrible Fantastic Four movies. So, so anyways, but that being said, we don't want to leave you guys on a sad note because, <clears throat> well, that's just horrible. So, really quickly before we go, we do want to talk about something kind of fun. Uh, I'm a huge Mondo fan. If you aren't uh, aware of what Mondo is, go to uh, I think it's Mondo Tees T E E S dot com, or just Google it. Uh, it's a company in Austin that's known for making really awesome film prints. Soundtracks. I've got a really cool vinyl pressing of the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. Uh, Eddie's, my husband Eddie's got the, the Halloween one. Really, really cool. Makes lots of really great collector stuff. Uh, even if you're just an investor, if you can possibly get your hands on the poster, because they go on sale at 9.45 a.m., and they sell out by 9.46. So you've yeah. got to be quick on the draw. They've done a lot of uh, Steelbook Blu-rays for Canada, and they've done a couple for their website. Uh, they actually have some available through Target now. Uh, they're only available on Target's website, so you have to go there and actually place the order and then wait for them to ship it to you. But he's done three so far. He did Flash Gordon, he did The Thing, uh, and Shaun of the Dead. And all it, it's the movie. There's no extra special features that make him different than what you already probably already own. But the artwork is really, really cool. Uh, they He throws a bunch of cool stuff on there. Uh, maybe we'll post a picture on the website if we can get that working. But if you're a collector and you love those movies, and if you know Mondo, 
get it while it's there because they go out of print pretty fast. But this is the first time you actually can go to, go to any kind of website and aside from Mondo Tees and order a movie. And in this day and age of where it's almost easier to download a movie through Amazon uh, than to actually pick up a physical DVD, here is a reason to actually own the physical Blu-ray copy of it because these are beautiful works of art. Um, uh, My recommendation is anyone who is in the Austin area or who wants a visit to excuse uh, or an excuse to visit, uh, come on down uh, October 3rd through 4th for Mondo Con. Uh, It is... A two-day uh, celebration of all things Mondo, uh, panels, art, posters, uh, tickets are still available, and if you're going to be here, let me know, and uh, we'll we'll go to the Draft House and see a movie, or, or head to the Highball and do some karaoke. Alright, well that's all we have for you this week. Uh, next week, we got some fun ones. We've got the Guy Ritchie take on a spy film, get another spy film, uh, The Man from Uncle, and then the kind of docu-drama uh, straight out of Compton, uh, which kind of chronicles the rise of NWA, which uh, two movies that are completely different from each other, but uh, both are getting pretty early good hype. Uh, so I know we're all really excited to see him. I have been looking forward to Straight Out of Compton, like ever since Mad Max. If you would ask me, like, what's the movie you're most excited for the rest of the summer? I've been like Straight Out of Compton. Yep, I'm excited for that. Really. And unfortunately, this is the, the the first time in about six months that I actually have to work late, so I will miss that screening, but you can guarantee I will do whatever I can to sneak in or watch you buy a ticket <laughs> and go see it. So so that's next week. Uh, one last thing. We, I do want to wish a really happy birthday to my good friend Brooks Bird. Uh, he's uh, one of our fellow film critics up here in Utah. He's turning 35 today, so he's officially older than I am. So uh, if you want to check him out, he goes by the real R-E-E-L Cynonerd on Facebook and also on Blogspot. So check him out. He's awesome. And he's done a lot to help us uh, get into a lot of screenings and see stuff. So go check him out. Uh, Happy birthday, Brooks. Uh, I'm two years older than you, so... (laughs) All right. You guys have a good week. Andy, go ahead and take us out. It's clobbering time? Uh, Hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. people. Haven't I seen you in some copyrighted movie? Please resemble but are legally distinct from the lollipop kill the lollipop. Previously on All My Circuits. I'm sorry, Father, but somewhere along the way, I forgot how to be your son. Why, Antonio? Because I have amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> on, but I thought you were... Egyptian? Before I kill you, I must ask you one question. Who am I? For I have amnesia. Let me get this straight. Does anyone here not have amnesia? Uh, I don't know. This show is awesome. When I grow up, I'm going to have so much amnesia. Me too. I mean, I have it now.
But I forgot. Well, mine's louder. Cram a ham in it, you twerps. Ah! Sorry. Nah, I had it coming.